Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining you today, she's an author, mental health advocate, public speaker, YouTube host. It's Randy Lee Boslaw. How are you doing today, Randy? I am great. How are you? I'm doing good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Oh, all right. So I grew up in St. Catharines, Ontario in Canada. Um, I still pretty, I live in the same region, just not quite the same city. Um, and growing up when I was younger, like elementary school, I was into all like all the sports at school. I was very involved um, in helping out like the little kids class and our, we had a special needs class and stuff all in for all that stuff. That school only went up to grade six, though. And when I switched schools, that all went away. (laughs) (laughs) When you were doing all those different activities, was it some way to kind of learn about yourself, find some skills that you didn't know you had in you? Or was it more about just having fun and enjoying being a child at that time? It was all about fun. (laughs) Yeah, It, it was a very small school that I was at. And in my class, there was only, I think, like five or six girls. So we were all very close all, and we all did all the same stuff. So every sports team had the same people on it <laughs> and, and all the clubs was the same group of people. Do you think it would have been different in how you interacted with the other kids if you had a larger um, kind of class? Because a lot of kids maybe have like 30 kids or 40 kids, depending. But with yours being small, you kind of got to learn more about each other in more of a that kind of setting. Yeah, I definitely think it helped with just getting to know everybody a little bit more because I think we had maybe 20 kids tops. Like I said, five, six girls and then the rest were all boys. So like 20 kids tops. Um, And then when I did go to grade seven, it was a way bigger school. The school was kindergarten to grade eight and I had French immersion in there. So the classes got way bigger and yeah, it definitely got a lot harder then because you didn't know anybody and connecting with people took a lot more effort. Would you say you kind of was more of an individual when you made that transition to the next school? Not sure. Normally I have a very cut and dry answer, but (laughs) I'm not sure because at that time, um, so in grade five, actually, there was this new girl that came to my school and she kind of picked on by kind of I mean a lot and it was like the first time I'd ever experienced bullying and it like it cut deep like real deep and so by the time I went to that new school I was now starting to doubt myself and then hey meet all of these people that you have no idea who they are oh and you're the poor kid so have fun with all these other rich kids bye see ya that's that's what it felt like that's interesting because with my school it's more kind of like they kind of said, oh, you came from this, so you have money and stuff. But all of us had different backgrounds, different family, how we lived. And I think it was just like, we're all judging each other. I wasn't like that because I didn't grow up with money. So I was like, I'm just trying to just live my life in a way. When you were interacting with that girl that was bullying you, right off the bat with the relation or the connection, did it not go well or was it something that she found out about you or something that was said that caused her to react that way towards you? I can't remember exactly how it started. I mean, this is 20 over years. ago, <laughs> <laughs> So I can't remember exactly how it started, but I remember feeling like 
at the beginning, I was excluded. Like, like I said, there was a very small group of girls. And when she came, everybody was trying to include her. And it felt like she was trying, actively trying to exclude me. Um, and then I felt like I was kind of out of the group that I always knew. I didn't fit in anymore. And then she started making up songs to make fun of me. And I smell and I'm ugly and I'm stupid. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, and of course, they're, they're catchy little jingles and kids are mean, really. And so it rippled through the class. Um, so, yeah, it made me feel awkward. It made me feel like I didn't know how to control the situation. And nobody had taught me anything about bullying because, like I said, that was my first time ever experiencing it. Our school was very small. It was very tight knit. Um, that was my feelings of it before. And then it was like, boom, just throw this grenade in there. So I actually ended up getting really frustrated with her one day and I took a rock and I threw it at her and hit her in the butt. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have the coping skills. I didn't have the life lessons to know what to do nobody had taught me that none of the teachers were recognizing that something was going on and I wasn't the type of kid to go tell them plus again we weren't told hey if you have this kind of issue you tell a teacher this wasn't a thing did you get in trouble for that or did anyone I did get sent to the office yes I got sent to the office and I had a stern talking to um because up till that point I was a great student I was you know, like I said, in all of the clubs, all of the sports, um, good grades. And so it was very out of character for me. And I kind of look back and go, okay, I had this during talking to, they forced me to apologize, even though I did not mean it, but none of them looked deeper and went, okay, why is this typically good kid who has never laid a hand on any of the other kids before, all of a sudden acting out like this? That, that yeah because I mean if someone did that here where I'm at oh they would be like almost suspended right away I think it just shows maybe like the different of the whole education system in the two countries and stuff how did you keep yourself motivated and po- like a positive mindset during this time where you're going through that was it hard for you or was something able to get your mind off of that when you went home Uh, Well, when I went home, it was, at that time, it was a great house. I was was a single mom. I went to my dad's every other weekend. That was kind of, but um, my mom was great. At that time, my brother was still good um, because he goes down a bad path. But so at that time, it was still good. And it was a very loving home. So going home was always like a safe place. Um, I could play video games or Barbies or whatever. So that was really good. It wasn't until later in my years that home life became an issue what was that dream job that you're wanting it's where we always get that question what did we want to be when we grow up what was that for you famous actor (laughs) why was that um because I couldn't pick just one job so I figure if I was an actor I could just pretend and play all of them oh I can see that. Did you have any influences or someone that inspired you in that entertainment industry? Um, I really like Charlie Chaplin. Okay. Not, not the answer most people give. Um, <laughs> I like the old school black and white, but like, I mean, he did, he did silent movies, but then he was one of the few actors that were able to transition into talkie movies. 
mind you, people like to debate with me and go, oh, Charlie Chaplin never did talkie movies. And I'm like, really? Because he did. I mean, The Great Dictator was one of the best movies all the, of all time. But yeah. <laughs> so how did you try to go in that direction when you went on after high school? What direction did you end up going? Um, I got pregnant and had a baby, so I didn't. Oh, so growing up, I was always in all of the school plays. I used to write plays and do them at my church and make all my cousins do them all with me. Um, but then by the time the end of high school came, I was in a really bad place. Um, and I ended up doing some stupid stuff and got pregnant. And so I did not, I, I mean, I had applied to university and got into them and I was going to an acting program, but I just, I wasn't mentally prepared at that time to do any of that. So it kind of fell off, but you know, now we have YouTube, which wasn't even a thing back in the day. So I could just do it myself. When you found out you were pregnant, did you feel that your kind of life was speeding up really quickly? Like you're now really having to take care of a a child. You have to grow up and find, be able to provide for the child. Yes and no by that time. So I got pregnant at 18. I gave birth when I was 19. But by that time, I was already living on my own and working. Um, Because by that time, my brother was into all sorts of drugs, um, in and out of jail. My mom was trying to to help him. She didn't know what to do with him. She had married my stepfather just before high school. And he turned out to be a raging alcoholic. So it became a very toxic environment there. So at the age of 17, I moved out. So I had already... And it's hard to explain unless you've been in that position where you you feel you have to move out because I was still a child. Ultimately, I did not have the proper life skills that I would normally have when you, you know, finish university and you're in your Mm -hmm. mid twenties and then you move out to your parents' house. I was still a baby. Like I would still call my mom sometimes and say, mom, can you make me a doctor's appointment? Because I didn't even know how to do that but I was moved out and I was paying my own bills and having to do my own grocery shopping. So in a way, yes, my life sort of sped up because now I had to take care of this other little person. But by then I had already been living on my own for two years. You mentioned about kind of like a dark, the dark times and like the toxic environment. Were you trying to also get away so that you weren't in that area so that you could keep a positive and positive mentally also? Yeah. Definitely. That was a really big part of it. So at 14, that was the first time I can ever remember thinking to myself, it would be great if I just wasn't here anymore. Whether that meant running away or killing myself, that was where my mindset was at 14 years old. Um, And by then, so my brother was four years older than me. Um, So by then he was actually in jail for one of his longest sentences because he did like a break and enter with a weapon or something. I don't remember exactly. Um, my mom tried to keep me out of that stuff, but I knew that he was in and out of jail. I knew that he was on drugs. So that was a bad situation. Uh, I mean, going into high school alone is scary <laughs> and you got puberty and that's all on its own an issue. I was going to a, a school, um, actually the, the artsy school that is in our region, it's closed down now actually, but I was going there. So I knew like three people in the whole school uh, because it wasn't where my elementary school was going that was like a different school and so it was a lot of changes then my mom's ex-husband like I said he turned out to be an alcoholic so then it came to a point where 
I didn't want to go home after school. I would go and hang out at my friend's house. If my friends were like, hey, let's go to your house. I'd make up some kind of excuse by, no, no, you can't come to my house. I didn't want people to know how bad it was. Um, And so, yeah, a big part of that was getting out. And it was actually my friend, my best friend at the time when I was 17, it was was August. So our school starts in September and it was mid-August. We were at Canada's Wonderland uh, with our youth group at the time. And I'm complaining to her because something happened between my mom and her ex-husband. I can't remember what it was, but something happened and I'm crying and I'm telling her and she goes, well, why don't you move in with us? Like with her family. And I was like, would your mom go for that? And her mom went for it. And so I ended up moving in with her, which it was good in a sense because I was out of the bad environment, but it wasn't my home. It was, it it almost felt like I was impeding on somebody else's life still. So it, it was good, but it wasn't right. Plus, I mean, I definitely needed therapy at the time, but again, nobody talked about that stuff. No, that wasn't a thing that anybody was offering. Um, school didn't have a social worker at it like it does now. There wasn't like, if you went to the guidance counselor, they would only talk about what school related things there were nothing about home life or therapy or anything like that. So it's changed a lot since then. <laughs> but uh, which is good. But back then, I definitely needed a lot more help than was offered. Well, especially with, I think, if other people, they've been in that similar situation where they moved into someone else, like their friend's house, you kind of feel like you're a guest at all times that it, like you said, it's not really home because you didn't grow up with them. You kind of just kind of grown up with them for the short amount of time you've been friends with them. So it's kind of hard. And then you mentioned about how the school changes where they now are able to talk about those because a lot of times that's just always a big topic nowadays in the world is being able to express those thoughts and feelings as you're getting older, your child's getting older. What was that path that you were wanting to go? Like, how did you kind of be find those new passions in your life? Yeah, I, I like to take the hard road apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So after I had my kid, like I said, I was 19. Um, at that time, my mom did finally break up with her ex-husband so then she was living with somebody else um like not right away she didn't move from one but anyway <laughs> um, so I moved back in with her so she could help me with um my my kid for the first year and then I, I moved out again but during that time I started dating my now husband so my kid was about what, six months old at the time and it was June and my husband was going to Niagara College and he goes well why don't you apply too because at that time I had just got a letter from my work that said that they were closing so I didn't even have work to go back to after my maternity leave so I was like oh great now what am I gonna do um so I was like sure whatever I'll I'll apply to college by that time most programs are full because school starts in like two months uh so I ended up applying for what's called pre-community services So it's just a one-year certificate program to kind of get you ready for like the social worker program because it's such a um, a well sought after course. So it often has a big wait list. So you take this one-year course first to kind of get you in. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. So I took that. Ended up loving psychology when I was there. So amazing. I'm still obsessed with psychology. It's just so interesting. 
So I took that for the first semester and I went, okay, well, if I'm actually going to get a college diploma or certificate, whatever it ends up being, I want to get a job after. (laughs) And this one year program isn't going to do that. That's not going to cut it. So I looked online at what other programs were most closely related to what I was already doing. So I didn't have to repeat a whole bunch of classes. (laughs) So it wasn't about finding my passion. It was just about what's the easiest thing to do in regards to matching courses. So I ended up going to community and justice services, which easy to match the courses, but it was a hard program. (laughs) A lot of people fail out of that program, Um, but it was awesome. I loved it. So it taught a lot about counseling skills and again, tons of psychology. We had a placement. I did my placement at a drug and alcohol recovery house for men, learned so much, absolutely loved it. Wanted after I graduated, which I graduated at the top of my class, Yeah, my brag, especially like when I graduated from college, I or from high school, I graduated with like 60, like I literally did the bare minimum in high school. (laughs) So it was a big difference to be graduating in the 90s uh, from college. And I started taking university to get my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, I wanted to become an addiction counselor. But finding one of those jobs is not easy because there's not enough funding for it here. So um, that didn't work out as planned. Then I I ended up working at one of our native centers, our friendship centers here as a literacy assistant. And that was awesome. I loved it. I was like, I'm going to work in the literacy. Again, there's not enough funding to have enough jobs. So that didn't work. Um, But I ended up being an employment counselor for um, about, in total between the two places I worked for almost six years. I loved it at the beginning. By the end of it, I was hating life, um, like pulling out my hair going, I need something else. This is not working for me. And so I ended up becoming a personal trainer. And so I still do personal trainer and kickboxing. But I also focus a lot on writing my books and my YouTube show. That's the short condensed version (laughs) of everything. But, you know, I missed all the really hard parts in there. So you can ask more details. (laughs) When you were learning about the different topics within the different career paths that you were wanting to go, did it kind of trigger the things that were going on in your life, like with what your stepfather was going through at the time with your mom, the alcohol, drugs, with the family, things like that? Or was this a way for you to kind of learn like the behaviors and why it might have happened in those times? Yeah, more the second part, more about learning the behaviors. Like I said, I love psychology. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. I find it so interesting. Um, Even in college, I took extra classes in psychology that were not required in my (laughs) program because I just found it so interesting. Um, So that's a really big part of it. I I wanted to do my, um, my placement at the Alcohol Drug Recovery House because that is how it related back to my family. And so that was really important. I learned so much there. Um, And I wish that I would have been able to use more of what I learned to help my brother. But unfortunately, that didn't go as planned. Um, But I mean, I learned so much that it was such an awesome experience. And even though I'm not in the field that I that during college, I thought I would be in. I still am so glad that I took all of that because it's helped me understand my own brain a little bit more, understand my kids brain a little bit more and just kind of interacting with people on kind of a different level than had I not taken those courses. 
I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of students feel that, oh, why am I taking these classes? It has nothing to do. But I came in a sports management major and I'm not in sports right now, but I'm so grateful for the classes that I've taken because it makes me a better like business person when I'm working because I have that knowledge and I am looking at it in a different perspective. And you mentioned that you are happy that you took those classes because it helped you learn more about what's going on in your life. It's just amazing because it shows that you are passionate about it, even if you're not doing it as a full-time job, you gained and you learned as an individual. Yeah, exactly. And you learn so much more than just the course content. Yes. When you're there. It's you're learning relationships. You're learning how to deal with a teacher who we like to say to the kids, your teacher's your boss. You're yep. learning how to interact with a boss and the deadlines that are set for you and the expectations that are set for you. And there, you can't call mom to make you a doctor's appointment anymore, <laughs> right? You have to make those appointments for yourself. So you learn a lot more than just what the course syllabus is going to tell you. When you and your husband, were you guys open about what, like what was going on in your life or were you kind of keeping things like hidden a little bit instead of just telling him everything right off the bat in your relationship? That's a good question. So we have been together now 14 and a half years. So you're making me think back awfully. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I just gave away my age if people do math. Um, (laughs) So, so I think at the beginning, I didn't intentionally hide any of that um but I also wasn't like going hey you know what goes on in my life yeah (laughs) right so it was if if it came up in conversation I didn't deny it but I wasn't going to offer up that information without some kind of preamble first how has your child and him like interact with each other as they've now gotten older has it been smooth or was it hard because it's a new environment for your child and maybe him. Yeah, well, they've, they've been together since um, my kid was six months. So doesn't remember a time without him. That's, that's dad. Um, his biological dad is uh, somewhere. Um, somewhere. He, he decided to leave. Um, and so I remember the one day, so he used to just call him Andrew. That's my husband's name. Um, when we first, well, once he started talking, we first started dating. And then when we moved in together, we had been together for four years and we were engaged. And I remember pulling into the parking lot at, at our house and from the back seat in the little car seat, well, you know, cute little four-year-old goes, can I call you dad? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, we both kind of look at each other and we look back in the car seat and we go, if you want to, that's, that's your decision if you want to do that. Yeah, I do. Okay. And that's, that's just how it went. It was, it wasn't forced or anything like that. And I swear, I don't know how they are not biologically related. They are so much alike. (laughs) I think that my kid is more like him than like me sometimes. If your kid listens to this interview or any content that you create about your story, what's the biggest thing you hope he get, they get out of it and like that you teach them? That even though there's been a lot of different issues in life, a lot of struggles, a lot of hurdles, some we haven't even touched on yet, there is still happiness in life and there is still a purpose in being here. 
I like that. I think it, it that just shows that life is important and be have to be able to express those thoughts and be able to reach out to people if you need help. Because I always viewed that you can call anytime, message anytime, because we want to showcase the great parts about each person that they showcase in their life, basically. I think I kind of just went in a circle when I was trying to explain that. <laughs> but I, I totally got what you were saying. <laughs> I'm like, I know exactly where I'm supposed to go with it. But then I'm like, oh, so, hold on. I got to go that way. Sorry. That's my apologies. Right. That's how I tell stories all the time. My husband's like, oh, we're going on the Randy roller coaster now. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the end of the story and the point eventually. <laughs> so what's next for you? You talked about you're trying to go to those different placements, trying those different careers. You did mention about the personal training and kickboxing. So how did you get in kickboxing? Let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. So when my kid was five, um, well, when he was four, we tried soccer. As most young children do, yep. it's usually the first sport you try. Um, he doesn't run. He <laughs> likes to pick flowers. So we're like, okay, well, clearly soccer is not the sport for you. Uh, we did try dancing. Dancing was okay the first year. Uh, didn't want to go, or no, he did it two years dancing. Didn't want to do it again. Um, and so we thought jujitsu. And okay. so we put him in jujitsu. He did phenomenal. I wish he would have stayed in it, but you can't force him. Um, he did really well. But while the kids' jujitsu class was going on, there was this cardio kickboxing class going on. And I'd always watch them. It looked like a lot of fun. So I said to my husband one day, I go, those girls have really nice butts. I <laughs> have a really nice butt. Seriously, that was exactly what I said to him. And he goes, okay, so go join the class. I'm like, okay. Turns out they were also runners. So it was from the running that they got their nice oh. butt. But that's okay. Because so I started in the cardio kickboxing class, decided it was lots of fun, went to the regular kickbox class, decided that was lots of fun. And so I wanted to actually compete. So then I started competing. And so I've competed um, on Team Canada twice. I've got belts and a bunch of medals. Um, and I've coached now a, a bunch of people. So. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment in your kickboxing journey? Um, probably the fact that I just made it onto Team Canada. Um, that's a pretty big thing is just even if when you get to the tournament, you lose just making the team and being able to have the um, confidence to do that. Because that's a big thing. And right now, um, I mean, as COVID is finishing, I don't know, as COVID is maybe coming to the end, the competition is going to start going again next year. So it's been two years of no competitions. Um, and prior to COVID, I was in a pretty good mental space and I, I did compete again for the first time um, since I had cancer in 2018. And so now we're talking about competing again and my brain is trying to wrap its head around this because I have a lot of issues around body image, which people, they look at me and go, Oh, but you're so pretty. I look at you. You're so skinny. I'm like, that's why I have body image issues because people like, like tell me that. Um, <laughs> I've always been pretty because I'm skinny. Well, can't I be pretty just to be pretty? Like mm -hmm. do those two things have to go together. So I have a lot of issues around that. Um, the first coach that I had with kickboxing really put a big emphasis on fight weight class and had me fighting in a 113 weight class, like 113 pounds, which is like tiny and very unmanageable. And so 
my relationship with food during that time got really, really bad. And so I'm still kind of battling back from those issues. So hopefully, like, I mean, I do plan to compete again. I just don't know when that's going to be. Um, definitely going to be coaching though. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it's hard. So whenever somebody is in a sport where weight is a big part of it, because it really is, like you have to pick the weight class, you have to make your weight in order to fight. And that part is fine, but do not push yourself to go to a weight class that is unmanageable and unhealthy to go to because I could drop the weight, but it wasn't manageable to stay there. Mm-hmm. And when you put it all back on, you put it on plus some. It's yeah. always them plus some. So it's it's very it's it's bad. It can be it can be very bad. And I mean, I'm not the only athlete that struggles with this. So yeah, it's it's a big thing. When you were going through the the lack of confidence or self-esteem at that time, were there people that supported you and say, you look great, you know what you need to do, don't let other people's opinions deteriorate from what your end goal was? Um, there's definitely people that said that, but it's very different having people say it. And I know that they mean it. It's not that I don't think they mean it, but it's how do you wrap your head around that what they're saying is true and how do you wrap your head around okay if this is true how do I fit this truth into this box of kickboxing into Mm -hmm. this sport that I'm trying to accomplish um when I did switch gyms and got uh, my other coach he was fabulous about going do not fight at 113 that was crazy that you fought at 113 like we're, we're not doing that And that was a big relief because here I am thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to drop this weight again? I mean, I'm getting to be middle age. (laughs) (laughs) And so hormones change, especially for women as we get older and I've had health issues and there's stress in life. So, and I've got kids and a grandkid, like I can't just focus all my energy into what I'm eating like I could when I was younger. So it was a big help when my coach was like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not fighting at 113. I think body image is such a topic nowadays, especially with social media and people posting photos and comments. And you just see like, even these celebrities or athletes getting shamed comments online and it kind of messes with them. And then they go and do these different like diets and restrictions and it just, takes them down the wrong path. And you kind of mentioned that where it's not manageable because they can't keep it and enjoy what their life is at that weight. And I've done that same thing where I thought, oh, I I have to lose this because I don't look like these people. But I kind of look at it and it's now I'm who I am. If people can't accept me for what I look like, I don't need them in my life. So exactly. I, and I mean, my husband's still attracted to me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the important part right there. <laughs> right? Like, not really looking to impress anybody else. <laughs> you mentioned about the health issues. Talk about that journey and what did it do to you mentally, physically, and how has it changed you as a person? So, um, I mean, Medical issues, obviously, like I said, depression is a big one, but physically uh, in 20, well, in 2017, I went for the female routine checkup and then my doctor calls me back and says, Hey, you need to come back in for your results. Well, you only have to go in for your results if they're bad. 
Oh, yeah. If not, they just don't call you at all. So I go in. And of course, I'm like freaking out already because I'm here. And he says, okay, so you have, and he used big, long doctor words, squamous, cells, <laughs> something, I don't know. Anyway, so, and you have to go to, to follow up with um, a gynecologist because it's just the family doctor that does the physical. So you got to go follow up with the gynecologist and they're going to do another test and we're going to go from there. So, okay. So then in January of 2018, I go to this gynecologist's office and first off, what I want to say is as a woman to other women, do not put off getting your routine pap. Do not do that. And do not be worried about doctors because, I mean, I was always like, eh, that's my area. Doctors, don't worry about that. Okay, just, just go do it. So anyway, so I go to the, the doctor and he takes a little portion out to go for tests. Calls me back um, about a month later, comes in, he says, okay, so there was some bad cells there. It's pre-cancerous. We'll, we'll do a surgery. We're going to take out that one little bit there and it's all good. So in March of 2018, I go for what I call first surgery. <laughs> I go in there. That was, I mean, I did get my wis wisdom teeth out before, but I mean, that was my first real surgery. Um, so I was, I was really freaking out. I had never had surgery before. They were going to put me completely under um, and like take a part of me out. So I was freaking out. Um, <laughs> and it's, they had a little bit of trouble finding a vein at first because I was so cold, <laughs> but they found it. Uh, the surgery went really well. It went phenomenal. I, I took all of my medication after that I was supposed to. And they said, okay, well, we will see you in eight weeks for your follow-up appointment. Cool. Awesome. One week later, they call me. Oh, that no. means it's not good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I look at the phone and I see the doctor's office. I go, so I answer and they go, okay, we need you to come in today. Today, like already, like this is a nine, a nine in the morning phone call. You want me to come in at noon today? And I'm like, well, I, my kid already has an appointment. I have to take him to his appointment. They're like, no, no, we need you to come in today. Okay. Let me see what I can do. So my in-laws took my kid to his appointment. So that was good. And I went in, but it was like one of those fit you in appointments. Cause it was that important. So I kind of just sat and sat and sat and man, I wish I would have brought a book with me because <laughs> <laughs> um, I had never had to wait there before. So then I go in, I'm sitting in the office, just sitting there waiting. Doo -doo 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 -doo. The doctor walks in. First thing he says to me is, you already have kids, right? Yeah. Okay. And were you planning to have any more? Well, no, my husband's already got a vasectomy. We're, we're done. Okay. That, that's good. Um, because the test came back from the part that we took out and you have full cancer and we're going to need to do a full hysterectomy. Oh, and I was like, Oh, okay. And I just kind of paused for a second. Go. All right. You, you can take that. You can have it. You can take it. I don't, I don't need it. You can take it. I just kept saying, you can take it. You can take it. Uh, Cause I didn't know, like I, I could not process what was happening. Like I knew that that's what he was going to say, because why else would I be there way before I was supposed to? So I just, you could take it. He goes, well, because you just had surgery a week ago, we have to wait until you're fully healed from that one before we can perform another one. So, okay. Okay. Then that's fine. Cause you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I get in the, I get in my car and I call my husband and tell him. And I don't, I don't even think I cried. I was just in so much shock. 
Um, and yeah, so two months later, I had second surgery. Um, during that time, I had to go up to um, Dravinsky, which is our cancer hospital that's kind of near me. It's about an hour-ish away from me. So I'd go up there for a couple of appointments and more doctors to look at my private area. So again, it doesn't matter. Just go for your path. Um, <laughs> and so the doctor that ended up doing my hysterectomy, I had never actually even met before because the doctor that I had met before that went on her maternity leave. So oh. I don't even, I don't even have a face to the name of the person that took all my organs. But that's okay. So I go and um, I do this, they do the second surgery, everything went fine. I come out and a few hours later, they're like, okay, you can go home now. And I'm like, okay, I could barely even stand up. I, every time I would stand up, my, um, blood pressure would drop and I basically faint. Oh. Then this was the first time that I had a bad nurse. She was not believing me that I could not stand up because after a while, in order to send you home, you have to stand up and you have to go to the bathroom before they can send you home. And every time I would try to just even sit up on my bed, I would feel like I was going to vomit or faint and I'd fall back down. She goes, no, no, you're fine. Let's go. Let's get up. Let's get up. And I'm like, seriously, I can't. And eventually, so then she would come, she'd take my blood pressure. Oh, you're fine. Well, it was fine when I was laying down. It's the getting up part. That's the issue. <laughs> so finally she took it when I stood up, she goes, oh, it is dropping when you stand up. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so eventually I was able to go and sure enough on as my husband pushed me out in the wheelchair I vomit like I said I was going to but she didn't believe me um so we go home and I'm laid up on the couch for a while and about four or five days later when I should start to feel like you know kind of a little bit better like still can't do much but kind of a little bit better I was way worse so I don't know why, but after this surgery, they didn't give me any antibiotics after the first one they did, but after this one, they didn't, I don't know. They gave me like the painkillers and stuff, but they didn't give me antibiotics. I got, and my husband, I've never seen him so scared in his life. Like even telling him I had cancer, he didn't look this scared. He took me back to the emergency room and said, you know, I just had surgery, blah, blah, blah. And I could barely keep my eyes open. I could barely stay up. I was so dehydrated. I hate needles. Like I hate needles. They took so much blood from me and I couldn't even complain. That's how weak I was. Uh, so they ended up putting me on IVs, giving me a whole bunch of different whatevers, um, ran a bunch of different tests, a CAT scan and ultrasound. Um, and then eventually they said, okay, it's just like your body's going into sepsis. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, so they gave me a whole bunch of antibiotics that I, that I had to take, but yeah, so I almost died after after my so it wasn't cancer that almost killed me. It was the surgery for taking it out that almost killed me. Um, and then after when I finally did go for my follow-up appointment at the appropriate time, not weeks early, um, they said that the test came back and they did get everything and it was good. And I didn't have to do any chemo or radiation, um, which was great. So I was like, oh, I'm not gonna lose my hair. That was my first thought was I'm not gonna lose my hair. So superficial, but I love my hair. Um, which is why I now color it really fun colors right after I was like, I'm going green. Like that was my big thing. I had to go green um, because I didn't lose my hair. And so uh, for a long time, people would say, oh, you know, good for you. You beat cancer and yay. And it took me a long time to kind of reconcile in my head that I am a cancer survivor because I didn't have to do radiation. I didn't have to do chemo. Like I was really, really lucky because they found it so early. 
So in my mind, I, oh, it was just a surgery. But it was much, much more than that. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to think about how bad it could have been. If someone that's listening to this is kind of like in your shoes and kind of nervous about going to get those checkups or making sure to try to catch it early, what would you tell them? Um, depends who it was. If it was my friend, I'd probably say, fuck it up and go do it because you do not want to go through what I went through. <laughs> but on, on, a, on a little softer note, I'd say, you know, find somebody who you really, really trust, bring your spouse or a parent or whoever that you really, really trust, have them hold your hands through it. But you need to do it. Because if you don't do it, it doesn't go away. That's so true. You can't, you can't think a, a magic wand is going to just take everything away f- and hope oh, you're going to be back to normal. You might as well just go there get the news, take care of it and resolve it as quickly as possible. Because yeah, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. If yes. I would have waited and like I was a year late for getting um, my pap and not because I didn't want to, I just, I kept forgetting because there was so much going on at home. My kid was going for lack of a better term, completely crazy. Um, We were trying to get him diagnosed and we're trying to figure out the best way to help him. So there wasn't time to take care of myself. So I just kept putting it off, putting it off because I just didn't have time. Um, But you need to make the time. Yes. Talk about being an author. What are your books about and what's the main mission that you hope a reader gets out of them? So the main mission um, is that I want people to know that they're not alone. I want them to appreciate every part of who they are. Um, But I don't just write about that. But that is my main mission when I write. But I I have a very creative mind. Like I said, I was writing plays and skits and stuff right from when I was little. So I write all sorts of stuff. But I got into it um, as a kid, like I said, doing the plays and stuff, but really, really got into it deep when I was a teenager, because it was my coping skill. When things looked totally out of control, when it felt like the only answer was to end it all, I would write it out. And so my first book actually it happened, I think it was one of my husband's grandparents had passed away. And so we were going through the basement, because every time somebody passes away, we redo our basement. <laughs> so we were going through everything. And I found all of my old poems that I had written as a teenager and I'm reading them and I'm like wow these are these are really good <laughs> I'm I may be biased no. <laughs> I, so I'm like I don't want to throw them out because I really like them but all they're doing is collecting dust in my basement so what am I going to do with them so I made them into my first book so my first book is my poems that I wrote when I was super depressed so it has a lot of very dark stuff in there um, I do end on a lighter happier note Um, and so I released that in 2017 and at first I was like okay it's done all my poems are in a book fabulous but then I kind of got the itch for for writing and I'm like I think I gotta do some more so uh, the next one that I worked on was about raising my kids so it ended up that my kid has autism um got diagnosed at age eight and so the worst feeling is feeling like nobody understands and you're all by yourself So I wrote that second book to let people know that you're not all by yourself. (laughs) And yes, it's going to be hard, but here's the things that I have learned that maybe, maybe they'll help you along the way. So that was the second book. And again, then I was like, okay, I'm done. 
but I wasn't. <laughs> so, but I did take quite a bit of a break there. So that one did release um, in 2018. I had actually finished really doing it when I had um, just before I had cancer. So we released it that year. And then I took a break kind of just to take care of myself, to take care of the house, all of that stuff. And uh, last year, I then released my first kids book, which is a Christmas story. Um, so that was so much fun. So I did a kids Christmas story. And then this year, I I think because the pandemic has given me ample time to do things, <laughs> <laughs> I released my second kids book, which is all about a cat named Diamond, who was my kitty cat that I had growing up. I had her for 19 years and she passed oh, wow. away just before COVID and it like broke my heart. Um, so I had to, I had to you know, immortalize her into a book. <laughs> so it's all about it, a little kitty cat and her day. And then I also released my third nonfiction book, which I was super proud of. So that one, that one's called Embracing Me. And that is all about accepting every part of yourself, everything that is you, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's part of you and you are awesome just the way you are. Um, it, it, so it talks about if you got to go to therapy, who cares? Do it. It doesn't matter if somebody gives you like a sideways glance because you're going, go, oh, it's awesome. Honest, I love my therapist. Um, <laughs> if you need to take medication, that's okay. I take antidepressants every single day. And you know what? It makes me a lot better of a person when I take it. Um, my husband gave me shit once because I stopped taking it and didn't tell anybody or ask my doctor. Um, <laughs> so take it and don't just randomly stop because you think you're all better. That's not a thing. Um, so just taking everything that you have learned in your life, like I have an entire chapter on expectations and where they came from. They came from being a child, expectations from your parents, expectations from your teacher, how they play into who you are as a person now. Um, and writing a letter to your younger self was a huge chapter as well, because so much of who we are as an adult comes from those expectations and what we did as a child. And we think back and a lot of times we blame that that child we were or blame the people in our life but you know what if you keep blaming your child self it's not going to help you heal it's not going to make the pain the suffering that you went through easier or go away mm -hmm. so it's a letter to basically forgive yourself to say you know what yeah there was some pretty crappy things that happened but you know what you're still here and you're pretty amazing. So yeah, so I, I do write letters to my younger self. I have a couple of my friend, my aunt, I got them to write examples in there as well. Um, so it's a really big mental health book, that one. And that's my, that's kind of like my baby for my book. Um, I did do, uh, I just released in September, a collection of short, scary stories because I love all things horror. So I <laughs> to do that um and I already have a list of, of short stories for you know part two of it but um yeah so I the main focus is always on my mental health books but I get these random ideas that just they gotta get down on paper so I do do some other stuff plus it's really relaxing to not always focus on such heavy topics yeah. when I can just write a story and maybe kill off a couple characters <laughs> Yeah, all of my short stories, spoiler, all of them don't have happy endings. I don't do happy endings. Oof. 
See, we talked about you being an actor. I feel like your genre of movies or TV shows or horror films or something that you would want to be in or something. Yeah, I love all things horror. And it's so funny. My husband hates horror. So (laughs) whenever there's a horror thing I want to watch, I either watch it with my mom or my kid um, or my godmother, even my aunt. But my husband, Mm -mm. (laughs) he he watched a couple when we were dating to impress me. Now he's done. (laughs) He's like, I've already proved enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been almost 15 years. We're good. No more. Have you gotten any reactions from the public on your nonfictions that kind of hit home for you or you kind of were like, wow, they, they, someone can relate or connect with what you have written in your books? Yeah, actually, most people that have read it have said, wow, I see myself so much in this. Um, The one that stands out the most in my mind right now is actually um, from that second one I was telling you about where I was writing as a mother and somebody so it's two stories it has my story and then it has my best friend's story about raising her son who has um, a lot of anxiety issues and so we spill it all like it's it's really raw some of it's like wow I am the worst parent ever how did I not see this but how could I have I didn't I wasn't taught to look for these things before Mm -hmm. right and forgiving ourselves as parents for not noticing that hey my kid maybe should have had more words by now, but they don't. I don't know. I'm not a child psychologist. I don't know these things. I just think, you know, they're sweet little babies. Um, but yeah, I've had so much good feedback on that. But one person in particular, she wrote like a letter long, like full size piece of paper long. Thank you for writing this. I basically cried through the whole thing. I saw so much of my son in your book about your kid and just thanking thanking us for writing it and I was like wow that like you're telling me you cried while reading this wow I kind of cried while writing it so (laughs) I'm right there with you as you're looking through your journey would there be anything that you would have changed or do you feel that the path that you've been on has taught you so much about yourself and you've grown as an individual that is such a good question. So I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I changed this and that. And I mean, yes, I would have loved for, you know, my childhood to continue into my teenage years where, you know, I had a great childhood. And I wish I would have had a great teenage years. But like you said, afterwards, it made me who I am. So ultimately, I'm okay with everything that happened. Now, by saying I'm okay with it doesn't mean that it was okay what happened to me. It was mm-hmm. not okay that my ex-stepdad was abusive um, verbally and emotionally. Never got hit, thank goodness. But it was not okay that he did those things. But I'm okay that they have happened. And I'm not going to be sad about it anymore. I'm not going to hold it against myself. Um, Can't hold it against him. He's passed away. (laughs) I'm not going to hold it again. For a long time, I held it against my mom. That How could you choose this man to be in our lives? How could you stay with him for as long as you did? Um, but growing through all of the stuff that I've grown through and going to therapy and talking a lot of this stuff out, I realized that she didn't choose for him to do what he did. Those were his actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She maybe could have tried to escape earlier, but I mean, it takes a lot uh, for women to leave their spouse, especially when he's the one that made the biggest portion of the money in the household. 
what was she supposed to do at that point, right? So weighing your pros and cons, is it better to leave him and be completely broke? Or is it better to stay and deal with some outbursts sometimes? Right, you, you can't say what you would do unless you're in that situation. For a long time, I held it against her. Um, and I had to release all of that. So ultimately, no, I wouldn't change things because I love who I am now. But man, sometimes I really wish that I didn't have to go through all of that because it was hard. And if you would, at, would have asked me 10 years ago, yeah, I probably would have changed everything because I was in such a bad way. Even what kids almost 15. So even seven years ago, <laughs> I probably would have said, yes, change this, this, and this, because I can't handle life. I want to end my life. So yeah, change it so that I'm not at this point, but now I'm, I'm happy with who I am. I'm happy with my life. So no, ultimately everything happened the way it was supposed to for me. And apparently I'm just a super strong person to deal with. <laughs> so what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally? Um, well, a lot of my personal and professional life are very much intermingled since it used to be that I was an employment counselor. So I had a very specific professional life and then kickboxing and writing was just like my hobbies. Now that's also my profession. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's kind of all wrapped up together, but I really hope that, um, so here's my crazy grandiose idea that if it, if it ever happened, I would probably like explode because wow, I would love for my show, my YouTube channel, Write or Die Show, to be picked up as like a real talk show. Like, how freaking cool would that be? Like, wow, that would just, I would, my mind would explode. I'd be like trying to take the first episode and you just see me explode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that would be like the ultimate thing to happen. But slightly more realistically I would love to just be able to reach as many people as possible with my show and with my books and reach them um with that message that it's okay to be who you are and even if you have mental health and one of my favorite sayings is I have depression depression doesn't have me and letting other people know that that is a thing um and just and also giving them a little bit of a scare once in a while <laughs> um, and then on the kickboxing side I really do um, want to get back into competition again so I guess that's more of a personal because I don't get paid for it. I'm not a professional fighter I'm amateur but um, yeah I would really like to be in the right mental state to appropriately go into the ring because you win or lose that fight before you ever even step into that ring it's so true so true in that in that kind of in that professional sport it's it's a lot mental and if you're not in there mentally it's almost like you, you kind of are at a disadvantage and against your opponent in a way yeah I've I've had one fight in particular where I was not mentally ready I should have pulled from the fight um but I was thinking okay but it's I've already signed up for it I've already paid for it I've already whatever um, but at that time, my kid was in the hospital, actually, he, oh. had tried to, he had tried to kill himself. And I said, well, maybe this will be my my break from reality. I don't know. So I had lost that fight long before I stepped into the ring. I, my mind wasn't in it. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't focus. And I just, I got demolished because I wasn't, I wasn't present. So, oh, yeah, I have firsthand 
experience of that. that yeah, you, you win or lose long before you step in there. You mentioned about your show and being wish it's picked up as a talk show or like a TV show. I'm like, I'm the same way. If I got it picked up by a network it's on TV, I'd be like, because my, the whole, like we talked about earlier, dream job. When I was growing up, it was most likely to be a game show host. And I'm like, okay, I'm not hosting a game show, but I'm still hosting in a way. And I actually got to interview three hosts that I grew up watching and inspired me to be a host when I was That's so cool. And so I'm like, when you said that, I'm like, oh, that I, we're, we have the same wavelength on that kind of topic. And I have to say, you've been a very good host. Like you, you, you ask the right questions, but you, and you give enough time for the answers. It's awesome. See, we, we could be co-hosts. I'm down. I'm so down. How cool would that be? That would be so, so much cool. fun. I mean, just your energy is just amazing. And kind of like the things that you are passionate about, you kind of like the way that you found those things, it's kind of similar to my journey and finding those passions and continuing to do them. It's just, it's been so much fun talking to you. Yeah, I've had a great time. This is one of my favorites. Like this is just fun. We could, we could totally, totally co-host some kind of talk show together. Definitely. Hear that. I'm going to go with Netflix because they, they pick up everything. You hear that? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, everyone has a Netflix account, it seems like. I mean, I have Hulu, but nothing's getting picked up on Hulu. Everyone, that or Amazon Prime. It's one yeah. of those two. Yeah. So, all right. So, executives at Netflix and Amazon Prime. See, we're great hosts. Yes. Hosts. And I mean, mental health is a huge topic. And it's like the hot, hottest topic right now. So. Oh, yeah. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Uh, First off, I would say, talk to somebody, whether you can afford to go to a therapist or you just have a super awesome, amazing friend that's not going to give you advice. Um, but just be that listening ear. That's probably the best thing to start with. You need to be able to open up about your traumas, really, all your challenges. I know you like the rights to the challenge, your challenges. You need to be able to identify what they are and accept that they have happened and you can't change them. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, it's a lot easier to accept who you are as a person And then figure out where it is that you maybe need to work on yourself a little bit more, where you're excelling, and then that can help you to reach your goal. Once you know how to, you know, what your weaknesses are to work on them. Like when I first started my channel, my, one of my biggest weaknesses was I had no idea how to edit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm learning. And, And that's just it. If I didn't identify it, I wouldn't be able to continue to reach this goal that I have set for myself. And I also had to, like I said, accept myself for who I am or else I can't talk to people in an honest way. So accept yourself, talk to somebody, figure out what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And that way you'll be able to crush any goal that you have and rise. Well, Randy, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future has for you. Thank you so much for letting me on the show. It was so much fun. 
Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goal? You decide.